You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. To Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he was born in a crossfire hurricane. It's Mr. Jeff McLarge. Yeah, the crowd goes wild. And then a bunch of Hell's Angels beat the hell out of the audience. I was going to say, I was, <laughs> the, the women start to throw their tomatoes at me. <laughs> that's, not, that's not underwear. Hey, man. So, like, how you doing? Hi. <laughs> I'm fine. Uh, I'm good. So I'm looking to cut corners everywhere I can, as like everybody does yeah. in this economy. And one of the things I'm going to be doing this summer is I'm going to be switching out of cable television. And I'm trying to like find a streaming service. Because basically, all I really watch is wrestling. That's all I need live TV for. So I'm, lo- right. I'm looking at a couple of different options. Then I kind of like suddenly remembered that I have Hulu. And uh, I forgot. Like, I, I barely watch it. I, I watched a couple of series on it last summer. And then I'll, you know, check in on it here and there. But I forget. I something honestly forget that I have it. So I was like, okay, I'm paying for it. I'm going to find something to watch on Hulu. So I found this. I think it's like six episodes. That's the way TV works now. They just have, like, miniseries. Right. A six-episode, like, a biopic. It's not a documentary. Yeah. It's a biopic uh, about the Sex Pistols. It's called oh yeah, it's called Pistol. Yeah, I saw that, that was advertised on there. Is it any good? I am about I'm like three episodes in, and I'm hoping that we record early enough uh, tonight that so I can go back and go you know I can go watch another episode before I go to bed tonight. Um, I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. They go really like in depth, and it's really really well cast. The guy that plays Malcolm McLaren is like spot on. Really? Yeah. Oh, I'll have to check it out. I know this year is like the 25th anniversary of Sid and Nancy, I think. Oh, I think the, it's 25 or 30 years. Oh, the movie Sid and Nancy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which is, uh, I guess, 86. That's 86. Like, yeah, it's 20. Uh, next year will be 25 years. Sure. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people have like a lot of love for that movie. I think it's well acted. I think Gary Oldman did a great job. It's just it's not very factually accurate. Right. So. Like any other sort of biopic, you know, there's things that don't happen the way that they happen in real life, right. and characters or people are combined to make characters so that the film makes sense. I understand all that. Yeah, because real life is boring. Yeah, <laughs> is the, yeah right? It's like, my God, Malcolm McLaren really was a dickhead. Yeah. Um, but like, how is the how is the miniseries like in comparison to like the other media that's portrayed the Sex Pistols in? Not a fictional way, but in a in a biographical way, where it's not, you know, Johnny Lydon telling you over and over again how much he would have done anything to help Sid Vicious not be on heroin. <laughs> All right. So my experience with the Sex Pistols, kind of like movies, is there is the Great Rock and Roll Swindle, which is mm-hmm. 
not very um, entertaining. I thought that movie was very boring. The Filth and the Fury, see, uh, the, they're both done by the same director. Um, the guy, right. Yeah, the guy who did Road Trip, which he's got a really weird resume. But at any rate, um, uh, he did The Great Rock and Roll Swindle, which is told from like Malcolm McLaren's point of view. And then right. he did Filth and the Fury, which is told from the Sex Pistols' point Sex of view. Sex Pistols' point yeah. of view, right. And that one's a little more documentary, you know, documentary style. Um, mm -hmm. So this one's more like watching like a TV series. And, um, yeah. And it's actually based on a book called Lonely Boy, which was written by Steve Jones, a guitar player from the Sex Pistols. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. And I'm going to guess, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that Steve Jones had something to do with the casting of this movie because the actor that plays Steve Jones is a good-looking dude. He kind of looks like uh, young Val Kilmer, right? Right. Uh, Steve Jones is not, nor has he ever been, a good-looking dude. He's kinda, he kind of looks like a, a boxer that lost the match. He definitely embodies like the sort of the punk rock look. Yeah. But that's it's natural. <laughs> yeah. all, all Malcolm McLaren did was like, put a shirt on him. Yep. You know? Give him a guitar. That's, that's yeah. pretty much it. Yeah, right, exactly. And then mm -hmm. the the rest of the cast is also like fantastic. Except for the girl that plays Chrissy Hines. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I like the pretenders and I love Chrissy Hines. But Chrissy Hines is not what I would consider to be like model pretty. Yeah. She's kind of kind of got has her own look to her this girl right. that plays chrissy hines is so beautiful that it actually took me two episodes to figure out oh that's chrissy hines okay <laughs> it's, it's it's distracting <laughs> yeah yeah uh yeah. no it's another thing that's really cool about it too and it took me like two two and a half episodes to pick up on it is and you'll appreciate this because <laughs> of uh the movie you saw last week um mm -hmm. it's actually filmed in a four three aspect ratio Oh, to, because it takes place in 1975, you know, to make it look like 1975, kind of like television. It's filmed in that aspect right, right. ratio, which I thought was a, oh. a real artistic leap to be taking, especially in 2022. Yeah, it makes me go like, is there something wrong with my HDTV? Yeah. <laughs> How come this picture looks funny? It's all squished. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way we were brought up. That's why. I wonder if they digitally inserted like the VHS rolling you know, tape lines because the tape's been rented 953,000 times. Uh, but yeah, I recommend it. I hope we wrap up early enough tonight that I can squeeze in another episode. All right, so before we go into the show proper, I do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question for you. Real cut and dry today, Jeff. No trick questions okay. at all. What um, is... sure. What is the longest, meaning most letters, one-syllable word in the English language? The longest one-syllable word in the English language, huh? Mm -hmm. Haha. <laughs> right, you think All right. you think that over, and we'll get to the show itself. So this is the week beginning August the twenty-second, and I will let you start this week, being the uh, the jovial kind of person that I am. Well, I appreciate that, Bill. Mm -hmm. All right, August twenty-second, nineteen ninety-six. The film Stand by Me, based on the novella called The Body by Stephen King. And directed by Rob Reiner, starring Will Wheaton, River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, and Jerry O'Connell, is released to cinemas. I remember seeing that film the weekend that it opened. Oh, uh, oh you saw it in the it, theater? I was just about the a little bit older than the kids in the film. Right. As I remember. Yeah. That's one of those things with Stephen King, too, is, I mean, he's obviously best known for his horror movies and all that, but 
honestly, that book, the Stand By Me, comes from. Uh, it's called Four Seasons, if I remember correctly, and that story is actually called The Body. Two more stories from that book came out as movies: The Shawshank Redemption and Apt Pupil. Apt Pupil. Yeah. Yep. And the fourth one, I don't. Do you remember what the fourth story is called? I. You know, I don't. I'd have to go. I'd have to go downstairs and read through the library to find well, maybe it. Maybe if they made a movie out of it, we'd know. <laughs> Get on the stick there, Steve. But yeah, well, of those, I think uh, it's it's definitely provided the most award-winning or or relatable, I think, material that Stephen King's ever had translated into film. Certainly, stand by me. You can definitely make an argument with that up against uh, the Shawshank Redemption because if you go to IMDb, Shawshank Redemption. If it isn't number one, it's number two, and it, it trades places, you know. But it's usually yeah. number one for the most like highest rated film on the Internet Movie Database. Yeah, it's it's definitely well loved, and not to discount the quality of Stand by Me. Previous to Stand by Me, Stephen King's films were known for Carrie, Christine, Firestarter, Maximum Overdrive, uh, and not much else, right? Uh, Salem's Lot, the TV movie. Right. Well, right. and The Shining, and, The Shining, dude. And, yeah, and The Shining, but uh, again, which more is, so. Which like, is Stephen King, like, by proxy. Sure, Stephen King sat down to watch The Shining and thought, what the hell movie is this? Oops, sorry, wrong theater. <laughs> Did I walk into the wrong cinema? <laughs> Look, yeah. He's, like, double-checking his ticket stub. <laughs> but, like, it was always, like, sort of monster exploitation horror films. Right. And all of the horror that's in Stand By Me is is the horror of growing up, becoming young men. Or young adults. Right. As opposed to staying children. It's that transitional period, that transitional summer, that last summer you have as a child. Right. And there's kind of like uh, some cursory kind of like real life horror too. Because I remember Corey Feldman's character like had an abusive dad and he was like kind of overcompensating for it by trying to be like a tough guy. Yeah. Like, Will Wheaton's character's brother got killed in a Jeep flip over accident. Right. Played by John Cusack in the movie. And his parents, like, completely di- just disassociated from him as a little kid. Right. So he was pretty much being raised by himself. River Phoenix had, like, no discernible parents that anybody could remember. It was very archetypical for those kind of characters, but it, they were all super relatable because right. they, they tended to hold together in the face of all of this adversity. Right. The other side of the horror was like the dead body that they were going to go see, and they're confronting the idea that now that they understand that they're mortal. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know? A definite metaphor, but like a dead body being a metaphor for death is kind of a weird way to put things, but sure. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie in a very, very long time. That's I got to make like an actual list of movies I want to go back and watch because that's definitely one of them. It holds up. Richard Dreyfuss, the, the end part with Richard Dreyfuss pretending to be Stephen King is a little bit eye-rolly, but <laughs> the rest of the movie is very good. It's a good good flick. Well worth a view. Uh, here's something that's not worth a view. <laughs> Feel the bile coming up at the top of my throat here. Uh, August the 23rd, 1984, Volkswagen's Rabbit, the last of the Volkswagen Rabbits, roll off the assembly line. Yeah, they were super popular for a long time, too. Was that, like, their second car after the Beetle? No. It was their first front-wheel drive car. So they had transitioned from rear-wheel drive air-cooled engines Uh in the square-back station wagon, the round-back coupe, the Carmen Ghia, and the Volkswagen Beetle, as well as the Volkswagen Beetle bus. And the Thing, Uh, too, right? 
And the VW thing had the engine, I think, in the front. Okay. But it was the, still the same uh, six-cylinder pancake engine. Okay. Uh, air-cooled pancake engine. And then they put out a water-cooled, radiated four-cylinder, inline four-cylinder with the, the Rabbit. Right. And it was smaller than the Beetle. It was more efficient than the Beetle. It probably had way more electrical gremlins than the Beetle. That's never a problem. That's never, never a problem with Volkswagens. <laughs> no, no, my goodness, no. I Clearly, the first rabbit that they took off the assembly line, they got it wet, and then they fed it after midnight. You know, there's like certain words that don't translate from one language to another. Yes. I don't believe there is a German word for ground wire. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the one, like, Achilles heel of all Volkswagen products is that bloody ground wire, yes. Yep. You and I, we've talked about it enough times, and that's why we're even doing this segment, because... Right. I can't say it enough. We have both owned uh, Volkswagen Golfs. I think we we actually had like the same year too, wasn't it? We yeah, I had an '89. Yep, mine was an '89. One of one of us yep. owned the second one. Yeah, because you're a freaking <laughs> dingling. That's why. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like dating the same girl who broke your heart. Oh my god, you know? I was just about to say that. It's like going She's, back to an she'll ex- never do that again. Going back and to then. an ex girlfriend that cheated on you. Yeah. You're right, yeah. And then you find your legs up in the backseat of a Volkswagen Rabbit. Yep. (laughs) And then they actually brought back the Volkswagen Rabbit for like a... Because whenever they brought back the Beetle, that did so well. They were like, hey, what other piece of shit can we roll back out (laughs) for modern audiences to to suck up on? Uh, Yeah, they didn't sell, though. They were supposed to do something like bring... Volkswagen has a couple of nameplates like General Motors does. So, and I think they were supposed to bring a car here from like the Skoda brand to be the Rabbit, but it couldn't pass U.S. Uh, safety inspection rules or it couldn't be made to pass road safety uh, standards. It had no ground NH. wires. It had no ground wires. Anyway, they, they for a while they renamed the Golf as the Rabbit and they, called the, they kept the GTI as the GTI. The only difference was that the GTI had some like plastic bits on it, and it broke down, and it cost an additional three hundred fifty dollars to fix every time the check engine light came on. Um, oh, that's it! What a bargain! Yeah, that's all. Oh, that's what that's. I mean, that's what the light on the dashboard was. I used to call it the five hundred dollar light. Why? Because every time it came on, it cost me five hundred dollars to make it go away. I used um, to keep door handles in my like. I would buy them in bulk and just keep them in my glove box because they broke all the time. Door, oh my god, door handles, This the lever to make the seat go forward and back <laughs> so people could get in and out of it. Because it was a two-door, right, that I had. Oh, mine was four. Uh, those things used to snap off all the time. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, terrible cars. <laughs> Don't buy one. Uh, Twibbly does not endorse. <laughs> <laughs> all right. August 24th, 1989, Pete Rose, the third baseman for the Philadelphia Phillies, and later the Cincinnati Reds, and then back on the Phillies, is banned from baseball for life for gambling <laughs> on on, ba- on baseball, doing sports betting. Yeah. So effectively using his position to influence how the game plays so that he could make money gambling. I don't know that you could prove that he did because it was all partly under the rug with bookies and partly in Vegas with sports betting stuff, but that got him thrown out. Yeah, and I think his horrible haircut had a lot to do with it as well true true so he found a second life though because he used to show up in wrestling like all the time not all the time but like at wrestlemania for like several years in a row as like either a guest ring announcer or a guest timekeeper they just kind of like i guess they kind of felt sorry for the guys so they would give him something to do over there but there was right. this like 
streak that went on for, I think it was like five or six years, that Kane, uh, the wrestler Kane, who was uh, in wrestling, The Undertaker's younger brother, tombstoned or gave uh, Pete Rose a pile driver every year for like five or six consecutive years. It was, it, it got to be a thing. It was like a, it was like a yearly tradition. <laughs> nice. Yep. Well, I mean, if you got to have some place to go, it might as well be wrestling. It's not like there's no money there. Right. You know? And, and you can't gamble on it because... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, another thing, too, that they kind of did for Pete Rose over in the WWE, too, is because he's banned from baseball, and if it wasn't for his indiscretions, he definitely would be belong in the Hall of Fame. He was a great player. Right. Um, but they put him in the WWE Hall of Fame under the celebrity wing. Oh, really? So at least he, yeah, at least he gets that, you know. So that that was kind of cool of them to do for him. Huh? Definitely would be in the baseball hall of fame, and it's, I guess it's cool that he's in the wrestling hall of fame. So there. Yeah, he's a great company too, because Donald Trump's in the Celebrity Wing Hall of Fame of the WWE too. <laughs> ah, all right, well, there you go. <laughs> and Snoop Dogg, uh, yeah. So. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so awesome. If you want a good picture on how much time has changed from, as we say, this week was way better last year. On August the 25th of 1998, it was published that 33% of Americans are currently using the internet. So, so that's just 24 years ago. 24 yeah. years ago, only a third of America was using the internet. And ironically enough, they were on America Online. <laughs> yeah, our Prodigy or CompuServe, right? right? The three, the three consumer-oriented internet uh, entry points right. back in the walled garden days. I remember being a customer of America Online when you paid by the minute after a certain number of minutes had elapsed. Yeah, and my God, did that get expensive? Oh yeah, dude. I remember like when the internet first came out, when we were all on the dial-up and all that. That was a great way to spend time because you had to wait for like pictures to load and all that. And you'd be on the internet and you would be doing like what would take you all of like five minutes to get accomplished on the internet today. And you look at the clock and it's like, oh my God, I was supposed to go to bed like two and a half hours ago. Like, holy cow. Oh, I've almost got the whole picture down of of that, that girl that was in Babylon 5, you know. Just another couple of lines and I'll have enough of it that I can save it. I got this like 5K picture of Daisy Fuentes that I've been trying to download. <laughs> it's funny because like the applications that, that the world sort of runs on right now and it didn't exist and there was the infrastructure to support it didn't exist yet. Right. At the, I mean, if you remember then, shopping on the internet was like, uh, like maybe you could like buy something, but you don't know where it's from. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Um. Or when it was going to get to you, or there's no way to track it. None of that stuff existed yet. <clears throat> Entertainment on the internet was was either reading text, or it was waiting for pictures to download. <laughs> yeah, because there was not much else. Like or playing like board games, like chess and Monopoly and stuff. Yeah, I think in 1998, and, I think like the first, like the first wave of Flash games and Flash cartoons had you know had come out at that time. Now, 98 was pre-Flash. Flash didn't start till almost 2001. Oh, so we're talking like JavaScript then at that time. 
It's it was it was yeah it was old school. Oh, wow, it was like wow. uh, my like, it, games that would have made Minesweeper seem ex- super exciting. Oh wow! Um, is like again on America Online you could play chess, you could play Yahoo Chess, or you could play Yahtzee, <laughs> or you could play more chess or backgammon. But like it's all just dots. It's there's nothing you can do with this stuff. You could rank people, yeah. and that was fun. And you could have like you could play against other people and play those games, but again, it was it, it was not interactive. It was chess. You know what? I mean, I, it wasn't immersive. It was a chess game. It, you know. You know what um, I really missed though about those days? Like, if you like talk like this out loud, it seems like you're talking about like a fantasy land, or maybe the way like our parents remember the 1950s. But right back in the early days of the internet, like that. You could literally start up a conversation with a complete stranger and make internet friends. I am still friends with this girl. I mean, we don't talk much other than liking each other's pictures once in a while. But I'm still friends with this girl, Lisa, that I made friends with on America Online back in the 90s. Probably like 97 or something because I was still living here. I hadn't even got my apartment yet. Yeah, I made friends with her. I'm still friends with her to this day online. Like I said, we don't chat much, but... You know, we're still, you know, like, happy birthday kind of a thing. But, like, now, now if a complete stranger messages you, you're like, this is a scam. This is somebody trying to scam me. But back then, it was a little bit more innocent. Yeah, but there were a lot of people who were out there trying to scam people. It's just (laughs) every now and then, every now and then you were like, you know what? Even though this person says that they are. Jello Biafra from the Dead Kennedys. It's I, it's not. I think Courtney Love. Yeah, Courtney Love was yeah. the one that actually she used to show up in chat rooms all the time at that at that point. And that's another thing. Chat rooms. Chat rooms are fun too. Chat. Yeah. I I actually you know what if I'm gonna if I'm gonna allow myself the luxury of being nostalgic for some other aspect of the internet that isn't used anymore. It's I really liked that. I really enjoyed te- text-based communications and having be it being fun and, and a little bit asymmetrical, but not necessarily. And it was really fun and funny and silly. And you can duplicate some of that now, but it's not the same. Right. And, and also, there's you know, like, uh, like the society as a whole is a lot more cynical now. Um, true. So there's a story that I tell about chat rooms. This guy, he's out there somewhere, Jeff. I'll never meet him. It'd be impossible. But this guy changed my life one day i'm in a chat room in yahoo this guy pops in i don't remember what his username is let's just say it was uh turk 182 turk 182 enters the chat anybody in here about it about it then the chat goes on nobody pays any attention to him i'm about it about it chat goes on (laughs) none of you all about it about it Turk 182 has left the chat. It was my, <laughs> it was one of my favorite moments of the early internet, and I tell people that story all the time. My friend Michelle says to me to this day, ever ever since I told the story, "Hey Bill, you bout it, bout it, I'm like a damn right, I'm bout it, bout it." It's so funny. <laughs> it's so it's it's so funny, and that was that was at the time where there were competing technologies that were still they were all free. Yeah, they weren't advertiser supported. They were like hobby things that got. If they were fortunate enough to get released into the walled garden, they they got co-opted by AOL or CompuServe, and then the pricing model made it so that people wouldn't pay fourteen ninety five a month and then fifteen cents for every minute or twenty five cents for every minute after that. My God, imagine if they um, still charge those rates. Oh God, it would kill. <laughs> it, would, it would be unbelievable. I actually remember when I switched over from that to the first all you could use internet. 
And it was with a company called IDT, Independent Discount Telephone. Yep. Which was the company that Mark Cuban started. That's where he made his like billion dollars, first mil billion dollars. Going from the golden age and what's good about the internet, let's talk about what sucks about the internet. <laughs> All right. Uh, August 26, 2018, two internet stars from YouTube. I refuse to call people YouTubers, so you're not going to get that from me today. Uh, a guy named KSI and Logan Paul fight a boxing match, taking the idea of celebrity boxing and further making boxing the sad, sad, sad spectacle that it is now. The fight and ends in a draw after, I think it's 10 rounds. Logan Paul would go on later to fight other people and he did better he got better for every fight that he fought but he's not a boxer it's like it's like i'm not sure what the right phrase is to describe it like is it geek show it's like geek show sports (laughs) you know yeah i don't know uh see i don't really watch boxing i know that's more your uh your shtick but as i've mentioned maybe just two segments ago i watch a a lot of wrestling and Logan Paul actually showed up at WrestleMania this past year. WWE likes to throw celebrities in there because they just feel that they're appealing to a broader audience. And it's like, I don't know, Vince. In 2022, you're either watching wrestling or you're not. I don't think Logan Paul's going to bring in anybody that you know and get them hooked. You know what I mean? But anyway, yeah. he brought in Logan Paul. And surprisingly enough, Logan Paul did very well for himself in a wrestling match. He put on a, a fairly decent and uh, I don't want to say believable. That's not the word I'm looking for. But a very a very fluid match. It looked good. It wasn't sloppy. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I, I mean, he went off and he boxed uh, Floyd Mayweather Jr. And it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. I was fully expecting Floyd Mayweather, who came out of retirement for like a $10 million purse or some crazy number. Right. To fight Logan Paul, and there was all this drama beforehand where they like stole his hat and they started all this shit to weigh in. Yep. And the fight was super boring because Mayweather just sort of played around for the whole thing, and it ended. It ended in a decision, oh. and that was and that was it. And it was there was nothing to it. Like I fully expected him to unleash the fists of fury, and he just never did. He just. It was like he didn't care. He already had his money. They brought Floyd Mayweather into WWE probably like, I don't know, it was a while back. It was like 10 years ago, maybe even more. And, you know, Floyd Mayweather is a little little dude. He's not not a big guy at all. And they put him up against the big show, who's like seven feet plus, right? They were doing like, you know, promos to, to, uh, to promote the thing. And Big Show got on his knees in front of Mayweather, and he was still taller than Mayweather, right? Yeah. And he was like, yep. he was like, come on, you know, hit me, hit me, hit me. And then Floyd uh, Mayweather did one of, like you just, what does he call? What did you just call it? The Fist of Fury. Fist, yeah, Fist of Fury, yeah. Yeah, where he hits like nine hundred punches, and it's like the, <laughs> it's like uh, uh, E Honda from Street Fighter Two with the thousand right. hand slap, just like bah, 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 bah. he just. Yep. Like, threw so many punches at Big Show. Like, you couldn't even count them. It was like, oh, my God. All right. August 27th, which, let me tell you, is a sizzling day in history. So <laughs> so much going on. So so hard to pick a, a yeah. pick just one. Yeah. But anyway, 1964, Walt Disney's Mary Poppins, directed by Robert Stevenson, starring Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke, premieres in Los Angeles. Ah, 
both Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke are still going strong. Oh well, yeah, sure. Dick Van Dyke is, I think, 96 years old and, and came out for the, was it the Tony Awards, like, two years ago and did the whole dance sequence from the beginning of Mary Poppins, the first dance sequence he does in Mary Poppins, like, at the park. Right, yeah. With a, a bunch of dancers being, the guy, the guy was, like, 93 or 92 years old at the time. Yeah, he still, still did yeah, it, like, yeah, he's still high-stepping, like yeah. Like, he's still high-stepping, yeah. And when, I guess he was asked later, like, how, how do you stay so spry and do that? He's like, I go up and down the stairs but the way you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, you know what? That works for me. I think having so a, every time I go up and down the stairs, I think of Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. I think having a wife that's like, you know, two generations younger than he is doesn't hurt either. Yeah, his, I'm sure he's like, oh my God, she's 49. Yeah, his, yeah. His wife is like, I don't, I don't think it's 50 years, but it's it's 40 plus years younger than him. Yeah. Well, well good for them. Yeah. He had a conversation like, I knew your mom, and I, your grandma was hot too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 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 it's very, very seldom you get to date three generations of a, of a family, you know, right, and right. not be in the Rolling Stones. Uh, and then uh, Julie Andrews, it was like a huge deal in I think 1981. She was in a Blake Edwards comedy called Sob. Yeah, and she actually did a topless scene. Yeah, and it was like a huge big deal that Mary Poppins was going to be, you know, in this R-rated comedy. And Julie Andrews was like, what do you want me to do? G-movies for the rest of my life? You know? Right. Yeah, I remember that. It was either SOB or Victor Victoria, because she was in both, and I can't remember it was, which one. It was, was SOB. The controversial one. It was, was it SOB? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were both controversial, but SOB was the, I think that one was first. Yeah, I think it was as well. Also, there's a film based on the sort of fictionalized battle that Walt Disney had to do to get the rights to produce Mary Poppins called... I think it's Saving Mr. Banks is the name of the movie, with Tom Hanks as, as Walt Disney. Oh. I haven't seen the whole thing, but I've watched part of it. Yeah. And there was a modern Mary Poppins movie that I heard good things about. Like, I heard it was very good, but it's one of those things where, like, we have a Mary Poppins. There was really kind of, like, no need to make another one. But I heard good things about modern retelling of it, or whatever it was. Huh. All right. I don't know it. Yep. And let's wrap up the week. All right. So what do we got for the 28th? On the 28th, imagine, Bill. Yep. It's 1992 when you get a call from the police that say, hey, we found your Volkswagen rabbit. God, no. Keep it. (laughs) Kill it. Kill it. Shoot it. Shoot it for the holes. No. Don't ever call this number again. (laughs) It was the Volkswagen rabbit that someone had stolen from you some 20 years earlier. All right, what's, so what's going on here? So, okay, so what we're talking about here is a guy named Larry Heyer, yep. who in uh, 1971, ha- his car, his, his beloved 1967 Corvette Stingray was stolen from him. And he, well, that's I guess a he'd nice through, car, uh, not a freaking Volkswagen Rabbit. <laughs> right, well, I guess it's a, it's a 70, it's a, it's a 67 Stingray, so I don't know what their reliabilities were like or how good their ground wires were. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it was stolen in 1971 and never recovered. Yeah. And then... The cops were helping to do like an estate transaction. I guess somebody had passed away. Okay. They had come to an estate and were helping with this, and they found the car, and the VIN number matched some database from 1971, and they go, oh, this car belonged to this other guy. It was It's reported stolen. So they tracked down Larry Heyer, who at the, I think at the time lived in what, Missouri? Or yeah. Ohio? Yeah, I, that's what I have here. It was The car was stolen in St. Louis, yeah. Yeah, and they said, hey, uh, 
did you used to own a 67 Corvette? And he said, I, yeah, somebody stole it in 71. Like, we found it. Yeah, but I, did you own a 67 Corvette? Yeah, when I was like 20. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, your your eight track needs to be rewound, but yeah, so he was able to recover it, and I guess he paid like thirteen hundred bucks or fourteen hundred bucks for it when it was new, yeah, new newish, and it's it now has a value of over twenty five grand. So nice, you know, the story's probably worth more than the money. Yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah, but get on the talk show I, circuit with that one, right? For yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely. You ever have a car stolen? Definitely. No, I've had a bunch of bicycles stolen. I've never had a car stolen. I've had cars broken into plenty of times. And that's like such a like gross feeling whenever you like get into your car and your stereo is just like, you know, copper spaghetti hanging out of the dashboard. Yeah, it's that is super duper annoying. I, I lived through that a bunch of times and I hated it. Now, here's a funny story that happened. My friend Frank accidentally stole someone's car. Keys... <laughs> Keys for cars are not quite as unique as you would think they are. They're not fingerprints. There's not an infinite amount of keys that open up an infinite amount of cars. There's probably a couple of thousand, maybe, I'm guessing, maybe even just a couple of hundred. You don't have to make them that random. Um, Anyway, he happened to find an identical car to his that accepted his key that he started up and drove halfway from Fall River, which is 20 miles away, to my house until he was looking around for something on the passenger seat when he was driving, and he stumbled across other people's papers, and then he was like, oh, my God, I just stole somebody's car. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that it used to be whenever I locked my keys in my, when I had the Grand Prix, the Pontiac Grand Prix, I had a 1977 Pontiac Grand Prix. Yep that I would occasionally be stupid and lock the keys in. Because at the time, 70s in General Motors cars, you had a round key to open the door and a square key to start the car. Yes. I would leave my keys in the car and, like, run into school. And then anybody with a G- GM round key could open my car. <laughs> any GM round key opened any door. Nice. It's like a security theater. <laughs> <laughs> you might as well leave the windows open. You know. All right, let's get on to the celebrity birthdays. August the 22nd, 1947, actress, character actress, I guess we can say, Cindy Williams, who the majority of the people of the world would know as the lovable Shirley Feeney from Laverne and Shirley. She was also in both American Graffiti and more American Graffiti. It's funny because in American Graffiti, I know we just talked about this a few weeks ago, that you know she's dating Ron Howard's character, and... He's kind of still Richie Cunningham in that movie, but she's definitely not Shirley Feeney. She's a much more aggressive young lady in uh, in the American Graffiti movies. So it's really weird to watch them interact like that. And right, um, right. here's a little fun fact. I think most true Star Wars fans were going to know this one anyway, but we'll throw it out. Uh, because she was working with George Lucas with American Graffiti, he had her audition for Star Wars. She auditioned yep. for the role of Princess Leia, which would be a yeah, that's right. much different movie with her rather than the beloved Carrie Fisher. Okay, moving on, uh, 23rd. All right, August 23rd, 1931, television actress and genie, <laughs> Barbara Eden, <laughs> uh, star of the aptly named I Dream of Genie with Larry Hagman. Yep. Thousands I, upon thousands of guest appearances on other TV shows after that later. <laughs> yes, um, and, and I'm sure she was like on the $25,000 pyramid a couple of times too. Oh, yes. Oddly enough, she actually appeared on another show with Larry Hagman, did some episodes of Dallas too. Oh, really? Yeah. 
I mean, it wasn't like a main character, but she was there. It was just, I, I guess they get along pretty well. I had the opportunity to meet her uh, probably about five years ago. She had to be in her 70s, you know? Right. And I honestly couldn't, like, stop myself. I went up to her and I said, I cannot believe how beautiful you are in person. You know, right. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. By the time people reach their 70s, they're not looking their best. But she was still absolutely stunning. She was a beautiful woman. Well, that's awesome. Yep. Cool. Yep. I, I wonder if she's, is she still doing the convention circuit, do you know? Well, I don't know if you get the newspaper. There was a global pandemic, and the convention circuit was kind of killed for a couple of years. It's starting to come back up now, you know? It's only within the last couple of months that there's been, like, conventions without restrictions. And you still you still see some people like masked up at, at conventions with you know with big crowds like that. So yeah, guys that dress like Batman, and other guys <laughs> yeah. like Spider Man mask on, another person with Hulk hands. Like I can get sure. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, August the twenty fourth, nineteen fifty eight. Comedic actor Steve Gutenberg, probably best known as Mahoney from the Police Academy movies. Yeah, and, you know, like, if you land on something that's going to keep paying you to do it, mm -hmm. you might as well keep doing it, but don't ever plan on doing anything else. I mean, he, he did second banana stuff in, in uh, Cocoon, which was a, a well-put-together film, and he was good in it, yep. but he wasn't the star. And some other films that ended up going, like, direct-to-video, and then... Well, he's the thing. God knows. He was in Three Men and a Baby, but almost... Yes. But, like... Completely overshadowed by his co-stars Ted Danson and Tom Selleck, who were both TV actors. Like, and that's a thing. Like, yeah. he was. <laughs> the, they made the transition to film and like just let, like just buried him with their personalities. And right, it's not that he's not a good actor. Just he isn't. He didn't have that. He wasn't able to get away from the Mahoney thing. Yeah, I don't think. And he only did four. He only did the first four Police Academies. I think he. Must have heard from you from the future. You must have gotten a DeLorean and said, dude, bail now. Uh, because makes um, I'm sure he gets a still a, a healthy paycheck from residuals, you know, from those days. But he could have been a bigger star. But I think he got Mahoneyed in the long run. He got Mahoneyed. Yep. All right. Next up. August 25th, 1930. Scottish actor, bodybuilder, and ultimately later actor again, uh, Sean Connery. Ah, everybody's favorite James Bond. And the man who survived leaving the James Bond franchise and ultimately torpedoing his own career <laughs> when he did it, but was able to, to get it back courtesy of Russell Mulcahy and the movie Highlander. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because he, I mean, like before Highlander, he was he did Zardoz. <laughs> Remember Zardoz? The gun is good. The penis is bad. Or vice versa. I can't remember which. I it was don't. not a good movie. <laughs> like with the big floating rock heads and it's like uh, two societies and one society. Uh, uh, you'll have to see it. It's not a good movie. I loved him in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade as Indiana yep. Jones's father. Yep. yep. Considerably longer, uh, later than Highlander. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, yeah, he was good in that. Yep. And then, uh, you know, he continued making he continued making films. He did like the the return to James Bond in Never Say Never Again, the one the only one that wasn't produced by the Broccoli family. And the Hunt for Red October. He's done. The Hunt for Red October. Yeah. yeah. And then he he sort of worked himself into the point where he's like, I've heard enough of these stupid movies. <laughs> when he did uh, the Alan Moore. 
League of Extraordinary Gentlemen film. Right, which I had a lot of high hopes for. But I, I, I don't think I've actually saw it, though. I sat through it in the cinema. I still have flashbacks of how <laughs> still, awful that movie was. I'm still sitting there. Uh, it's, that's, it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen, irrespective. I mean, I've seen films in, in cinemas that had cockroaches, and, and they weren't as bad an experience as watching that movie. And time for my favorite Sean Connery joke. What time does Sean Connery show up for Wimbledon? <laughs> I don't know. What time does Sir Sean Connery show up for Wimbledon? Tennis. <laughs> All right. Moving, moving on to August the 26th, 1936. Yvette Vickers, who was a B-movie actress, an exploitational film from the 50s, Extraordinaire. And I believe she was also a Playboy money at one point, too. She was in 1959. Um, now, I got conflicting uh, reports over here. Maybe she lied about her age because I think I just said 1936 for her birth year, and the wiki has it on the 28th. So she's one of those women that likes to lie about her age, I guess. But her, definitely, her birthday definitely is the 26th, though. I can't, <laughs> can't get away from that. But she was in, um, she was in like Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman, Attack of the Giant Leeches, Attack of something else. Right. She did a bunch of bit parts and exploitation films in the fifties and early sixties. I remember her as just. I remember seeing her as a little kid yep. in Attack of the Giant Leeches. That was a movie that my mom always thought was really fun and scary because she had yep. seen it in the cinema. And I remember how much fun it looked like she was having in making the film, being married to the like. The, she was like married to the, a big fat hillbilly character in the film. Sure, she, she was good in like everything that she was in, but she just what? never she never was able to get out of that again. Like Steve Gutenberg, she was never able to get unmahonied. She ended up just doing exploitation films, and then once you do once you do Playboy, it's really hard to turn that into a more legitimate film career. In that era, for sure. In yeah. that era, yeah. Yep. Uh, what's funny is I'm looking at her filmography. She's got about. I don't know, 18 to 20 movies, and at least half of them, she's uncredited. Yeah. Like, she's got parts like, giggling girl on phone at party. <laughs> Stuff like that. All right, let's move on to the 27th. Uh, August 27th, 1956, bass player for the Sex Pistols and probably the only bass player that mattered in that band, Glenn Matlock. Yeah. Now, like I said at the top of the show, I've been watching the documentary about the Sex Pistols. Uh, Glenn Matlock was arguably the only, like, real musician in the Sex Pistols. Right. That's one of the uh, really great casting, too, because the actor they got playing him, he, they play him up as such a mama's boy. It's fantastic. <laughs> And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, like let's play this Beatles song. Let's play this Rod Stewart song. And then John Lydon is like, Rod Stewart! So it's awful. But in 1994, the Sex Pistols did a reunion tour. Right. And now, obviously, Sid Vicious isn't going to be there because he died in 1979. So they actually got Glenn Matlock back to do the tour. Oh, yeah. Still and, the only musician in the band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Still the, yeah, still the best one in the band, right. I remember one of my friends at the time was like, he didn't know. He, he was never like really into like punk. He was more like a, put it this way, he was more like Glenn Matlock than he was like John Lydon. But at any rate, he was, <laughs> he was saying that it was like a complete sellout move and if Sid's not there, it's not the Sex Pistols. And I was like, okay, that just goes to show how much you know about the Sex Pistols because Sid didn't play on the album. Sid was such a 
bass player that they actually called Glenn Matlock back up after they had thrown him out of the band to come play bass on the album because Sid just couldn't play. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sid was only there to attract an audience and nothing else. Yeah, he was a super fan that became a like the face of the band for a while. And yep. That doesn't mean you can play bass. All right, and wrapping up the birthdays. August the 28th, 1969, actor, musician, funny guy, uh, Jack Black. Oh, yeah, okay. I was, like, I was like, we just did Glenn Matlock, and I was thinking Jack White. I'm like, sometimes I have to remember <laughs> who the hell we're talking about. Yeah, it's easy to get Jack White and Jack Black confused because they look so much alike. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just one of those, like, my brain automatically jumps to... Sure. To musicians that I that I tend to like more than musicians that I I don't listen to as as often. So yeah, yeah Jack I'm, Black was um like I remember the I think the first time I saw him was in Mars Attacks. Actually, the first time you saw him, you didn't even know it was him. The old the old Atari twenty six hundred uh, video game commercials for Pitfall. There was like a little kid that was talking about, you know, the game Pitfall and all the adventures you could go and all that. Yeah, that was Jack Black. He was like 14 years old. Yeah, even less probably. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I went back. I forgot. I went back and looked at those on YouTube and I was like, oh, I probably saw these on TV when I was a kid. But like I remember seeing Mars Attacks, though, and I remember him in like being disintegrated in that movie. (laughs) I'm about 50-50 with Jack Black. Like I really liked School of Rock. And then the other movie he did, I think it was called Orange County. I didn't care for him in that movie. Like, I found his character annoying, but that's not Jack Black's fault. That's the writer and the director's fault. Uh, so I'm about 50-50 with him. If you ever see him, like, in certain interviews and stuff like that, he's kind of like Pauly Shore, and the characters that he plays aren't that much different from him, I guess you could say, because the character he plays in School of Rock is very much Jack Black. Right. I, I think the last thing I saw him in was the video that the Gorillas put out. So we're going back a while now for yeah. on the Now Now record. So I can't even remember the name of the song. But again, I've run into him and stuff. And depending on what it is, it, you know, it can either be really good, like High Fidelity, yeah. where his character is interesting and, and fun and not the f- sole focus of the film. Right. You know what I mean? That he's able to add something to it and not sort of where is welcome out but again sure. it, it depends on what you're watching him in you know right. a school of rock was great nacho yeah. libre less so yeah less so <laughs> i don't know i you know i've reached the point in my life where i no longer carry around hatred for things that i can't influence anymore i just sort of cast that away to the universe hoping it'll just generate better karma for me so okay i am gonna argue that point with you when i bring up the worst song ever. All right, Jeff. We've been doing Worst Song Ever for a little over two years now. Yes. And this song, this is all you, dude. You brought this song up to me when we first started doing this segment. And for some reason, <laughs> it's true. a hundred some odd episodes later, we haven't touched it. So I'm undoing the lock on the gates. I'm letting Grendel out of the oaken doors. Let's have at it. What are we doing? We're doing a song that you really only hear now if you're listening to like 70s, a 70s themed radio station. And it's called <sighs> Gimme Dat Ding. 
You feel by... like an idiot saying that out loud, I don't you? <laughs> I feel like I feel like I shouldn't say it. It's one right. of those like, am I? This is probably an offensive title now. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's almost like racial appropriation <laughs> at this point, right? <laughs> Can I just cut, get, give me that thing? Is that, yeah. is, that, is that better? But no, it's it's called Gimme That Ding, and it's by a band-ish called the Pipkins. All right. Uh, play let's, a clip, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> let's get this out of the way. Do the boogaloo, I'm lost, I'm lost, can't do my thing, and that's why I sing. Gimme, gimme that ding. Gimme that, gimme that, gimme, gimme, gimme Whenever you play this song, you're like, oh, what song I freaking hate? I remember this. I think you, you even brought this song to my attention before we even started doing the show together. Yeah, I, it's true. Yes. Yeah. This is like Jeff McLarge huge. Like, this is part of your personality matrix. You know, you're going to fill out a dating profile. I like walk, long walks on the beach, starlit nights. I hate Gimme That Ding. <laughs> and it, it actually came up in conversation. I was driving around with my son, and this song mm-hmm. came on, and he goes, this is music that was popular. I'm like, look, man, 1970 to 74, 75 is like the worst decade. That's like the worst five years in music. It just gets considerably worse. It's like there's a ton of like nutless. Yeah, it's a bad time for pop music. You can understand why Dark Side of the Moon happened in 1973 because the AM radio was taken over by Gimme Dat Ding. Now, whenever you first had me listen to this song, I was like, this isn't really all that bad because I like the ragtime piano part of it. And then I started listening to like the girls just repeating, give me that, give me that, give me, give me, give me that. And then the song, you know, starts off with that guy doing, which sounds like, um, <laughs> it sounds like a Mel Blanc Jack, voice. Yeah. yeah. It's all, yeah. It sounds like Mel Blanc trying to imitate Wolfman Jack. Right. And uh, or Wolfman Jack trying to imitate anybody. So anyway, that guy's like super annoying. But today, like I do, I listen to the entire album. And the entire album is called Gimme Debt Ding. God, I feel like an idiot. So um, honestly, not the worst song on the album. Which which isn't saying a lot. It's hard to believe. This song does suck canal water. Don't get me wrong. But... The funny thing about the Pipkins is it's two dudes. Those girls singing aren't girls. Those are two guys singing in falsetto. Yeah, and one of the one of those guys is is a guy named Tony Burrows. Now, like I'm gonna say, friend of the show, uh, Todd in the Shadows, that we both Bill and I watch on YouTube, did a, a segment about him and a band that he was in called Edison Lighthouse, which wasn't a band. It was just him with some studio studio guys who ended up with a number one song. He's also the guy that sings on this terrible Pipkins record. And he sang on like six other bands' records in between 1969 and 1974 or so. At one point, he had four songs in the top ten. Yeah, at one time. With four different bands. Four one-hit wonders. Right. Yeah. And then, like later on, like in 1975, same guy. He's the one that did that song, uh, Beach Baby. Yeah. Beach baby, beach baby, give me your hand. Or as I used to sing it, breach baby, breach baby, give me your feet. So, um, (laughs) 
Anyway, yeah. So as Todd in the Shadows, a uh, friend of the show, was saying, this guy is going to be in the Guinness Book of World Records for being the having the most one-hit wonders. Because he's got like five. Yeah. And, and he still he wrote a bunch of songs for other people that were famous. He still goes out and plays. And like all of the bands that you'll see, this is before music videos. Yeah. So there used to be like scopatones and they were like clips that they did for TV. Right. Where they the would have bands playing like for stuff like Top of the Pops. Well, yep. Tony Burroughs would come out and sing with the band if it was a TV performance. Yep. But in all of the films that they made of all the singles and for the bands that he was in, it's yeah. just a bunch of dudes. It's a <laughs> like the people on the album covers are just models. Like nobody on the album is in the band. Oh, right. Like the we another band that we I don't remember the name of the band, but we did a segment on them last year with uh, Yummy 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 I Got Love in My Tummy. Right. Like the, the band that toured, that wasn't the band that played on the record. Nope, nope none of them. It, yeah. None of same, them. So. so same thing with this, yeah. Yeah, so, so funny. And, and like, this this sort of falls into novelty music, and it's, it's like, being on novelty music is, I don't yeah, know. Fish we don't in a barrel, yeah, We don't generally do that because it's a novelty. Yeah. Ha, that said, <laughs> there is some novelty music that you just can't, you can't escape the dislike of it. And of almost all novelty songs, this is one of the very few that when I hear it, I have to listen to it all the way through and complain about it for the that time that it's running and then the next yeah. hour to whoever is within earshot of me. Yeah, thankfully, it's uh, it's pretty short. The That guy there the, with the... There at the beginning of the song, he's throughout the whole album. Right. He's, yeah, he's like on every song. And then it's like... It's almost like it's a guy hanging out in the recording studio, like a janitor or something. It's like, can you get the f- out of here, please? Shut up. You know? Well, Hilariously, like if, if you look at the Pip, if you go to the Wikipedia page for Pipkin, you'll see that it's another yeah. band that has 265 potential members at any given yeah. time. <laughs> like, like I said, I listened to the whole album, right, today. There's eight songs on the album. <laughs> and collectively, the album is only like 22 minutes long. You know, thankfully... And they're all kind of like, not so much retro, like this song, you know, goes back to ragtime. And that kind of lends like that other song that we did, uh, Winchester Cathedral. Yes. You know, where it's like a different kind of like music, yes. uh, like a, a, a yep. dead music genre brought back yes. for a, uh, Rudy, a revival Rudy thing. Valley style, yeah. Yeah. But there's, uh, there's one song on here called Sunny Honey Girl, which sounds like regular 1970s pop radio music it, it's okay let's put it that way it's okay uh it's listenable yeah well i'll i'll take your word for it i'll never listen to the whole album if i can avoid it uh um, well, i i took that one for the team yeah and i appreciate that so uh <laughs> all right so before we wrap up the show i do have my very short uh and uh popular and always well received trivia question trivia question was pretty straightforward this time around jeff what is the longest one-syllable, or if you want to use big words, monosyllabic, uh, word in the English language? Uh, that doesn't count. It doesn't? Oh, come on now. That was pretty long. Yeah. Uh, the longest one-syllable word in the English language. I guess that's going to put me... I can't use anti-disestablishmentarianism because there's multiple syllables in that. I guess... Uh, I, I, You know what? You got me. I have no idea. So my guesses would have been straight or through. 
both of them clock in at uh, seven letters, but clocking in at nine letters, nine letters, just one letter short of my brother's last name. Uh, <laughs> uh, screeched. 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 Yep, screeched is the longest one-syllable word in the English language at nine letters. Huh. Yep. I would never have gotten that. Nope. Uh, you know who would have gotten that, though? Uh, guy from Saved by the Bell. Anyway. <laughs> who was on Celebrity Boxing? See? Yeah. Full circle. All right. But that wraps up the show for this week. We'll see you back here in seven days. Yes. Say goodnight, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, everybody. Yeah. Special thanks to James Coster for our theme music. Thank you so much for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. You can find us or message us over on Facebook or Instagram using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And remember, when you tell your friends and get them to listen to Twibbly, it makes you popular and always well-received.